Filmstrip and our views of selected works of Stephen King featuring Nick, Kismet Fat Boy, and Jay. Sometimes that is what I. These podcasts will be spoiler filled and contain in depth discussions of the plots, characters, and themes. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And now, here are Nick and Jay. Welcome to Continuous Play Podcast Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of Stephen King's Cat's Eye, starring James Woods, Alan King, Kenneth McMillan, Robert Hayes, and Drew Barrymore. Directed by Louis Teague, released in 1985 on a budget of $7 million, grossed over $13 million at the box office. So, Nick, we we discussed The Shining the last time when we started our Stephen King retrospective. We fought through a couple of uh, early winter colds and some other <laughs> scheduling issues. We finally got around to our second episode, and we're going with an anthology piece from 85. Cat's Eye. So why Cat's Eye, Nick? Uh, well, I think this is kind of one of the uh, Stephen King movies that not many people talk about. It's kind of one of the forgotten movies of the uh, late 80s, I believe it was when it came out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's different because it's an anthology. And, it's Steve- and you think about like Stephen King. I mean, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, a lot of his books you know, are, no- are long novels. I mean, people see them in their thousand pages, but he has a lot of short stories you know, collections. And I actually think his short story work is his best work. And I think like a movie kind of like Cat's Eye, which is an anthology would kind of be perfect for like the Stephen King style of storytelling where you kind of maybe get like a half hour to tell a story and it can be, you know, nice, short and sweet. And I remember seeing Cat's Eye as a kid, didn't really remember much of it. And I was just like, when we're talking about it, it's like, well, let's let's do Cat's Eye after The Shining. So here we are. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because my when you said I want to do a Stephen King, I want to do one of the anthologies. My immediate thought was you want to do Creep Show because that's the one I go to when I think of anthology. And I, I agree with you about his short story work. In a lot of ways, will beat some of his novel work, though. I still think you know two of his novels to me, It and The Stand, are masterpieces in terms of just the way they're written and things. But a lot of his good stuff is novella and short story uh, for sure but you brought up cat's eye and i had never seen it now i've seen this like the box for this in the video store growing up you know forever because it had drew barrymore on it and i always wondered what that was and i was like is drew barrymore to haunted by a cat because i had seen firestarter and i thought was this like the sequel to firestarter you know I, did, I didn't know and i i can say emphatically it is definitely not the sequel to firestarter um <laughs> And uh, it's it's a really interesting little tale kind of woven together here. And it's definitely a product of its 80s roots. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, even got Drew Barrymore in this movie. I mean, you think about an 80s child. I mean, Drew Barrymore is kind of the quintessential 80s girl with, you know, E.T., Firestarter. And, you know, figuring I think Firestarter came up before this, right? Yeah, Firestarter was before this, and then and ET was even before that, and so it was, you know, you had the she was on everything. If you got Drew Barrymore as a kid actor in your movie there for a while, I mean, it was a thing. And then you know we all kind of watched her 
disintegrate for a little while and then she got her life together and now is a big time power player in Hollywood and, and good on her and you can only hope that the you know there's another group of starlets currently in need of some help. Maybe they, they one day we'll look back and go, Well, remember when Lindsay Lohan was just insane? But uh you know, and not talk about her posthumously. But but we you know, you see Drew Barrymore in this, but James Woods is in this thing. You know, and I mean I think of when I think of New York slick, you know, cocky actor James Woods is my go-to for that and I I can't think of anything I've ever seen him in where I did not like him now he's not always done stuff I've liked but I never blame that on him I will give him a pass for almost anything I like James Woods uh, just about every time I see him on screen what about vampires <laughs> Again, not his fault. But uh, he's, I, I, he's fantastic in uh, Family Guy. I'll give him that. Yeah, yes, he is. He's great, and and I like it. I think that's why I like him is because he's willing to poke fun at himself, and often does. And and uh, I he did a film with Michael J. Fox, and I I can't remember the name of it, but it was uh, it it could have been really bad, really stupid romantic comedy action dramedy kind of film, buddy film, and it and it was some of that, but it also was. It, there was a real story to it, and he did a good job with it. He's been in a ton of stuff that, I, that I've liked. His dramatic stuff is, it, in, especially in later in life here, he's done some fantastic work. But him, I mean, I've seen Alan King almost always playing a mobster. He's in a lot of stuff. Uh, Robert McMillan's just a voice I recognize. Robert Hayes, to me, man, is like, you know, never get over Macho Grande. You know, I'll never get over Airplane. One day we're going to do the dang Airplane movies. I don't, don't care how we have to do those, but I, I, that's all I know him from, too. I, I'm sure he's done a lot more. I'm sorry. Robert Hayes fan club, but that's all I know him from. So, you know, you've got these actors kind of anchoring this three-part anthology story. And it's interesting to note that, the, you know, kind of the, the two films here that we're doing in a row in our, our reviews of, of The King Works, Nick, both came out in 1985 and they both had $7 million budgets. You know, this one and then the next one we're going to do is Silver Bullet. And they, they both, you know, were kind of done on these really small budgets and they were directed by people who mainly came out of television. Louis Teague, who directed this, had done a lot of TV work. He had done the Dukes of Hazard. Um, and he, I mean, he had been on, he had been on some of that kind of stuff. I mean, he had done some film work too. Sure. I mean, he, he did one of my favorite, uh, uh, cheesy, uh, uh, you know, uh, a monster flicks called Alligator. You know the whole flush the gator down the. Oh down the man, that movie screwed thing. me up as a kid. Oh, that, that so swimming okay. pool scene. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll walk into that one. You never know. But I mean, he had been in some of that, and uh, you know, uh, he came out of he came out of all of the uh, the seventies. Um, I'm sorry, uh, filmmakers and all that type of stuff. And so anyway, but, and then the guy that they got, Daniel Atlas, to do Silver Bullet, both those guys, you know, obviously they got them because they could get them for not a lot. And they were adapting these King works pretty quick and they wanted to try to get them out quick, you know, and they want to try to get them on the screen. And it's going to be neat to see the kind of, even though they're not tied together in any way at all, to see, you know, does one work? Does one not? You know, is there another way it could have been done, et cetera? So, I, I don't know. It's interesting to think about that they threw an anthology movie out in, you know, uh, April of 1985. I mean, it's kind of a, an odd time to drop, uh, I guess, a horror movie, if you will. Uh, not if you're the Weinsteins. Yeah, hey, uh, we got Grindhouse. <laughs> Let's release that during Easter. <laughs> well, Jay, uh, why don't we talk about the plot summary? Okay, all right. Well, <clears throat> this is, uh, you know, just a simple story of a cat 
uh, who gets adopted by a family in North Carolina in kind of the unlikely uh, way that that all goes about. <laughs> a cat's, uh, you know, just peering in a downtown department store window one day, and he's snatched up by this fat man and taken to an office, and turns out it's some kind of anti-smoking clinic where they give you electric shocks to, quote, help you quit. Um, <laughs> for some reason, they start giving the cat a shock, even though he doesn't smoke, and in the midst of a fight with a lot of crazy people, he escapes. And then he finds himself in a busy downtown area near a big hotel, and Nearly escapes a congested road only to be temporarily rescued by a rich fat dude who apparently was betting on him to get across the street. He goes up into this guy's hot ri- high rise and he watches another man attempt to run around the outside of the ledge of a building while the fat man does everything he can do to knock him off. Uh, the man makes it back inside the apartment and a head gets thrown out of a paper bag and uh, the cat's is like, I'm, I'm done with that. He's out of here and just in time to see the fat man fall on the ground from upstairs. The cat finally makes his way out of suburbia into the countryside and uh, where he's taken in by cute little blonde girl but the problem is there's an evil little troll living in the girl's wall who comes out at night and wreaks havoc causes all kinds of trouble even pins the death of the pet bird on the cat so the cat sentenced to die at the local pound but determined to to be avenged he escapes come back battles and defeats the troll and is finally lovingly accepted in the family after the parents see how good a protector he is for the daughter and in the final scene he gets to make out in bed with drew barrymore's credits roll and that's pretty much the story of uh, the the things that weave together cat's eye as best I can put it together. Yeah, you ran through that pretty quick, but I guess that's really what it is, man. I mean, oh my god, I kind of I wish this movie would have been that fast. <laughs> I will not lie and tell you that I was a little bit inspired by the way you did the Terror Vision um, <laughs> plot summary. And this is three separate stories. Um, Quitters Incorporated, the the anti-smoking one, uh, The Ledge, and then General is the, the last one. And uh, Quitters Incorporated is the one that stars James Woods, and he's recommended by a friend to go join this, you know, this clinic to kick the habit, you know. And this was in the mid '80s. This was a big thing. I actually remember as a kid all the the big time anti smoking ads. The first ones I can ever remember coming out, you know. And this was in a in an age when like smoking advertisement was everywhere. I mean, it was still the Winston Cup in NASCAR, for goodness sakes, you know. So it was it was nothing to see your favorite characters on television smoking. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen James Woods on television smoking. I don't even know if he was a real smoker in life or not, but he's always played that kind of character. And I think they cast it well. And that, that first bit when he's in the office and he's filling out the paperwork and that guy is sitting next to him just freaking out, I'm going, what the heck am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm watching a Stephen King movie, and I'm watching a guy fill out paperwork in a doctor's office. Fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's almost like reading one of the books. <laughs> so, except, you know, I'm on those pages that, and then the, we turned left, and left is the color of the, you know. Yeah, but, but the thing that sucks, though, is you can't get, like, an, at least an internal monologue going on. I mean, knowing a Stephen King book, he'd probably be going on about a girl he had sex with, like, 20, 10 years ago and remembering all the details of that. But, no, we just get him filling out the paperwork here. And, actually, I just kind of want to bring up real quick, yeah, I mean, uh, based on your plot summary, I mean, the first two stories of this one, uh, Quitters, Inc. and The Ledge, those are actually based on Stephen King work, whereas the last one was actually custom-written for Drew Barrymore. So I just kind of wanted to get that out of there really? right away, just to say that, you know, yeah, these t- Quitters, Inc., the one we're talking about, is based on a short piece that he had. I believe it was in the book Night Shift. I could be wrong, though, with what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... James Wood, I mean, I think he's kind of comes off pretty decently in this movie. I'm in this, in this section. I mean, it's kind of interesting because you see him like signing up for this stuff and it's kind of like, okay, well, it's going to be at a, 
anti-cigarette thing. I mean, you're thinking, like, what's the horror going to be like in the story? I mean, is that how you were kind of, like, looking at it? You're trying to find, like, what the horror yeah. aspect's going to be? Yeah, I mean, the only horror I got was he pulled out a cigarette while he's in the anti-cigarette office, and the guy sitting over there is like, no! And he's, like, wigging out, and I'm like, he must be on, like, serious withdrawals. And as an ex-smoker, I can say I understand that pain. Uh, you know, wasn't that hard when I finally did quit? It, you really? But, I, you know, I, I know friends that have struggled with years with, with uh, addiction, and particularly nicotine addiction, and it took them a long time to quit. And I've always counted myself fortunate to be able to quit when I did and how I did, but I, you know, I, I had friends that would do that when they were quitting. They'd get around somebody else, you pull out a cigarette, and they would just go, oh, no, like the little guy with the little accountant looking guy. But what gets me <clears throat> is they bring him in and they sit him in this office, and I automatically know something is up, and I know it because of the stunt casting. All right, Alan King, would you cast Alan King in anything? I automatically know he's either the nightclub owner. <laughs> he's the Jewish father or uncle that you like, or he's a mobster. <laughs> you know that he just always plays those roles, and he comes off that way. You know, and as he's explaining it out to Woods, and he shows that whole little thing where they're where they're shocking these people and stuff like that, it, I flash back to that haggard woman that walks out of the office, and that man hugs her, and they walk away, and I'm like. Oh, so that's what was happening to her. You know, while they're shocking the cat. And I'm going, well, that is a really strange method of doing things. And I immediately started asking myself, okay, what is Stephen King getting at here? What is his, because anytime he's doing one of these little social satire things, he's getting at something. What is he trying to say about the anti-smoking lobby, whatever, at this point? Because I don't think King's a smoker. Uh, I know he's an alcoholic, but I don't know if he was a smoker or not. It's a good question. I, yeah, I, as far as what he's trying to say, I mean, I guess he's, for me, what he's trying to say is just like how, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's th so weird. Think about the That's all it's just so weird. Yeah. It's so sorry. It is. I mean, think about, here's the whole escalation. Okay. After today, if you smoke any, your wife is going to get electric shock. And then on the next defense, your young daughter is going to get electric shocks. And then on the third one, we're going to, we're going to violate your wife. And then on the fourth one, we're just going to, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess just putting it like that, I guess maybe what it's trying to say is, you know, kind of what a joke a lot of these clinics are. I mean, as far as like trying to get you to quit smoking, I mean, what do you got like the 10 step or seven step programs and like, Tw tw yeah, 12 whatever step programs. it is, it's, it's actually work, how ridiculously yeah. stupid it is. It's like, you know, the this, this stuff that they want you to do, nothing really, in the end, it's always you as the reason why you're going to quit. It's not the actual program itself. I mean, it might help you along, but in the end, it's going to be yourself that either says, hey, I'm going to put it down and not do it, or I'm going to do it. So I guess in a way, he's like maybe saying like, I think just kind of making fun of these clinics, saying just how pointless they are. And actually, if it was actually going to make you well, quit, this is what they would do. They would actually threaten you with violence or threaten your loved ones and be like, hey, put this shit down or you're going to really be messed up by us. And and then not only threaten you with it, but make you so paranoid about it, because that's the whole horror of this first 30 minutes or the, I guess the suspense of it is James Woods gets in all these real stressful situations and he's trying to he's trying not to have a cigarette. He's actually trying really hard. You know, to quit, and he's every time he turns around, there's, there's a chance, and there's somebody looking at him. There's somebody looking at him. He's like, no, 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 you know, and he's he almost slips up, and he almost slips up, and all this stuff starts going down, and 
I mean, ultimately, when he gets in that traffic jam and he gets seen, you know, he he sees his wife get taken and suffer the electric shock cage. I mean, isn't it you know? almost the way it is when you, I mean, I was a smoker, too, for about 10 years. And uh, isn't it almost kind of the way it is when you quit smoking is how, like, paranoid you get. It's almost like everything that's going on makes you want to smoke. I mean, like, in the past, I mean, it was when I quit smoking, it's like man, what am I going to do at breaks at work? You know, I've got nothing to do, man. I need to smoke. I need to smoke. And it's almost like you get, like, worried about it. It's like, oh, break's coming up and I can't smoke. What am I going to do? I think that's almost kind of like what he's going through is almost the motions that you go through when you quit smoking on your own. How it's like you're paranoid, you're kind of jittery, you're always looking around, you're always just like you want to have a cigarette, but you don't want to do it because you don't want to let yourself down. And you're almost afraid, too, if someone's going to see you because a lot of times when you quit, I mean, what's the first thing you tell people? Oh, I'm going to quit smoking. And then when you're always afraid, then those people that you told are going to see you and it's going to make you look kind of weak, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, and I think you've hit on it. I mean, when I, my thing is I had to give up coffee for a while because those like smoking and coffee were, you oh, know, synonymous. Put a bullet in me, man. I could <laughs> yeah, never give that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had, I had to, it was only a short while, so. But I had to for a little while because the temptation was always there, and I kind of knew that, right? So it, those things just went together for me as far as I could, I could, uh, what I can remember, but for him, like the thing to me is, and what I, what I like about this is he tries to hide this from his wife until he realizes he can't anymore. And what we always see in these stupid stories is that, well, the guy will still come up with some cockamamie answer as to why. And he finally is like, no, I'm just going to tell her, I'm just going to tell her if I keep smoking, you're going to get electric shock. You're going to get violated. The kid's going to get it. We're, we're, you know, I'm going to get murdered. So we, we're all in this together. And then a long time passes where he hasn't had any, you know, cigarettes, right? I mean, he goes to that whole party where, like, every friend of his, he imagines every friend of his is offering him, like, do you want 50 cigarettes? You know, it's, <laughs> uh, you know I, I felt I had, I had an episode two flashbacks, too. He's like, I don't want your death sticks, you know? I mean, that's what he was doing out there. But all of this goes on. All this time is passing. But the thing is, and I can relate to this, Nick, because when I quit smoking, I gained weight. Because I ate a lot. I that was my thing as I started to eat and I gained weight. And this is the funny side is now Quitters Incorporated won't let you gain weight. And if they don't, they'll cut you, your wife's finger off. And it's only at that dinner party thing when they give a toast that he realizes his buddy's wife is missing a finger. And I was like, now that is messed up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I actually found that really satisfying, though. I said, you know what? This is goofy, but I like this story. I, I overall kind of thought this one was fun. I got into this. I, You know, the first two minutes, I was like, what is this? And then I just got going with it. And I said, you know what? That, that wasn't half bad. It was a little different, but that was pretty good. That was well done. I wonder where they're going to go with it from there. You know, how's this going to tie to the next thing? Well, is it, it going to go back to the beginning when he sees Cujo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that going to happen again? You know, I mean, really, I, I liked the first little vignette yet here I, I thought it was good yeah i thought it was good i really thought it was kind of i mean the story is okay i mean i think the story is a lot better in the book there's a lot more added elements to it but it's good because i think james wood kind of elevates the material i mean he was having fun doing the role i mean you can always kind of tell that he was having a pretty good time doing this and you know it's a nice little short story this would not work as a full-length movie but it's kind of like a nice little twilight zone episode you know the yeah, especially, especially the ending you kind of get that little like last little you know twist shock type thing where it's like oh okay they are it, looking I, it was very much rod steiger yeah i i feel yeah I, I felt like i was watching the twilight zone 
at the end of this. I said, that that is a good Twilight Zone little feel. And I don't know if King was going for that or if he was making a nod to that. or oh, whatever. Would, feel, this, would make, this would make a great Twilight Zone episode. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah I mean, I thought it was really good. I, I liked it. So we get to the second one, though, The Ledge. And I guess the, this is where the movie goes out on the ledge now, too. All right. Yes, this one. Oh, this is really the. <laughs> so the cat, the cat gets on a ferry to, and I, I should say, Quitters Incorporated supposedly takes place in New York City. The cat gets on a ferry to Atlantic City, New Jersey. All right, <laughs> and and winds up over there, and he sees a gambler and another guy. He, well, I, I don't know. It's, it's all from the cat's point of view, but the whole story here is that a, a notorious gambler, his ex or his wife, is running off with a, a tennis pro played by Robert Hayes. Is that what's happening? Yeah. And he knows about it. And the whole bit is he's going to capture the guy and make him walk around the entire building on a ledge while he does everything he can to knock him off of it. And if he makes it back inside, he'll give him money and let him have his wife. You know, that's, that's the whole bet. <laughs> is this because he's just like a gambler or something? It's, no. I don't it's, know. Yeah, so now this is where I was like, okay, and now we've gone beyond. Well, I, this is not even Twilight Zone. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what you'd call this. This is a bad episode of Law & Order or something. I don't know. It's just not not a good day on Donahue here. The, the, this one, to me, is a little weird. Yeah, definitely. The whole setup to it. I mean, okay, you got this gambler or something who's gonna like you know basically place a bet on this one guy to go on the ledge and it's just like i don't i mean like quitters inc it's you can almost get away with the really craziness with it because if it's i don't know does it make sense if i say it's almost like it's a corporation it could just be like this evil corporation that's doing this or this is actually like a person doing this and it's almost like it just comes out of nowhere that this person wants to do it like this so it's like I don't know, it's it's hard to get involved with what's going on. It's it's just silly, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean it's all it's all about this blackmail thing. You know, the this the the gambler Kressner and catches Johnny Norris, Robert Hayes, right? And he blackmails him. But I don't ever understand what he's really got on him. You know, other than you're having an affair with my wife. Well, what is that going to do? Ruin his tennis pro career? Who cares? I mean, at the country club seat. Does that, I mean, isn't that kind of what he's there to do anyway? I don't know. I, I'm, Ooh, I'm at the country club. <laughs> I'm, spe- I'm speaking out of turn here, but I'm, I, I'm sitting here watching this, and I'm going, well, first, I can, I can kind of buy Robert Hayes as a tennis pro at a country club. He sort of has that look to him, yeah. you know? <laughs> and the other side of it is, I mean, he's definitely not a taxi driver or an airline pilot, but the other side of it is I, I don't really know what exactly the – gambler has on him to make him do this but it's i think we're supposed to think is that he loves this woman so much that he'll do anything for her and that he, he's going to do everything he can for her and that oh i know what it is no I, I remember now they plant drugs in his car or whatever so okay yeah that's that's what it is so he he doesn't want to have his life ruined with all this even though it would be pretty obvious those aren't his whatever doesn't trust the law he he's gonna go out on the ledge for his woman, and that's that's and then he goes through basically hell on a high yeah, ride. I mean, the whole thing too is like, okay, okay, <laughs> get fired from your job or die. 
Yeah. Like, oh, fire me. Okay, he's a country club tennis pro. I mean, who cares, dude? It's like, I, I could see if it's something like a major where it's like, hey, you don't do this. I'm going to kill your kid or I'm going to kill your wife. I'm going to take something from you. You know, you're, it's irreplaceable, but it's like, oh, you're going to get fired or die. It's, I don't think anybody would take the ledge. Well, what, what kills me is that at the end of it or whatever, because he makes it around the ledge and, we, and he comes back in and he's like, fine, I'm a man of my word. You can have it. And he throws like this, like Christmas bag. Like, you know, it's, if you don't want to wrap a present, you get the bag, you know, and it's full with fake money and this fake head that rolls out of it. So she's been dead the whole time. <laughs> and that's supposed to be the Twilight Zone ending of this. But it's really unsatisfying because if it if it had ended with Robert Hayes going no, which you know the dreaded no up into the sky, but even in '85 that wouldn't have been played out. If it had at least ended with that, that'd have been something. But no, we have to go forward where he kills a henchman and he makes the old man go out on the ledge and fall off. You know, so the whole point was nothing happened. So at the end of this, what does he have? A bag of bloody money? <laughs> that was really worth it, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know. It, this whole, whole middle ordeal was long and seemed pointless. And I, I, I really was disappointed in it because Quitter's Inc. wasn't great, but at least was interesting. This is not even entertaining. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, there's like absolutely no – at the end of it, it's like, okay, nothing really happened. You know, it's like this one guy died and – yeah, it's – because you're not, again, you're not invested in any of these characters. I mean, you're at least a little bit invested in James Wood, probably because he's James Woods that you're invested in him. But well, that, I think but I think you hit the, it though. His performance makes us care about him. Yeah, like I said, he elevates so he elevates the material, but also because you know I think the whole smoking aspect is something a lot of people can relate to, and a lot of these clinics is something a lot of people can relate to. Okay, you're kind of thrown into a situation with two people who aren't very likable on the ledge. And it's kind of like, well, okay, the guy go on the ledge, the whole reason he'd even agree to it's already kind of stupid. And you don't care if he falls off. You're almost kind of, almost kind of rooting that he would fall off the whole time. I'm like, you know, God, I hope the cat trips well, him or something, you well, know? Be- better yet, I was, I knew somebody was falling off that dang ledge. I was like, there's no way they're going to set all that up and somebody not go tumbling to their death. And when it's finally the old man, well, you talk about the, the advancement we've made in rear projection and in, Special effects, wow. Even for 85, though, that looked bad. You had to admit, that fall was a long fall. Yeah. Before he it's... landed on the clown horn at the bottom of the of the the pavement there while the cat goes, Ew. I mean, that, that whole bit was just, uh, it was really unsatisfying, like I said. Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely agree. This one is very, very, very weak. And it's, you go, you start off, you know, Add an okay one with Quitters Inc., and then right away it dips down to like, wow, this is bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, it's like baseball. First inning, you get a leadoff double. Somebody gets the guy in. You got a re- you know a, a run, and then the next three innings, you go three up and three down. Everybody yeah. just whiffs. I mean, it's really, it's almost like terrible. Nebraska football. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Particularly the last few few times they played any any game that matters. You're right. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's just really strange to watch, and yeah. I, it's a weird middle chapter. And, it is, and, and I, all, I have to bring this up too: is the soundtrack of this movie? Oh, it's I don't know who wrote the music for this movie, but this is probably on my top ten list of worst scores for a movie. Dude, I have ever. it's Alan Silvestri. 
That's what should shock you. It's Alan Silvestri who did this. Yeah, um, it's 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 bad. Yeah, I mean, he does like he did a good job of Forrest Gump and stuff like that, and you know, Back to the Future, of course. But man, this <laughs> this score is terrible, and it's only going to get worse as we get into the third one. And if you want to, yeah, you're right. And the music is one of the things that typifies this is just strange. But is the third chapter now when we shift perspective? I guess to the cat. Is that what happens? Because the cat now becomes our main character and gets on the freight train. The cat's a hobo now. Yeah, he's not <laughs> only the main character. He's the hero of the story now. <laughs> well, it's because he's the only you know likable one besides James Woods in the whole thing. An hour into this movie, and I'm ready for it to be over, by the way. And he, he gets to Wilmington, North Carolina. And he's adopted by little Drew Barrymore, cute as can be. And she names him General. You know, and that's the whole bit is that you know, general. And of course, the mother doesn't like the cat, you know, because she believes it's going to harm the pet parakeet. And like the mother is, she's more protective of the parakeet than she is her own daughter. Oh, that's God. the first she, thing. She goes down as probably the worst mother in the world. And we'll get a little bit more into it later with this one. But man, was she annoying. This mom the whole time was just like. Oh, as soon as, as soon as a little as soon as a little troll monster came up, I'm like, I hope she walks in and he freaking just does something to her, man. So I'm like, oh, I wanted the mom to be like, what had summoned the troll monster? If this was an episode of Buffy, that's exactly what would have happened. By oh, the completely way. believable. She is so bad. I mean, she's just a bitch the whole movie. <laughs> she's she's horrible. But that's the whole bit. Is that General is is supposed to be you know Amanda wants him at night so he can protect her or whatever, but. He can't because the mom you know, doesn't like him, so she puts him out at night, you know, Fred Flintstone style, and the malevolent little troll that is taking up residence inside the house <laughs> decides to get out and terrorize Amanda. All right, and he tries thing? to steal her breath. Now I'm watching this, you know, with the knowledge of four leprechaun movies under my belt, Nick. All right, and I'm going, what is the stealing of the breath deal? Is that stealing her soul? What is he trying to do? I think it's, I don't know, maybe this is like, because I know this is the original story for the movie, and I don't know, I guess, you know, with maybe SIDS or something, you know, how like children's just mysteriously die at night sometimes, you always hear those stories. Yeah. Maybe that's what this is trying to explain, being like, this is why there's little evil demons in the world that uh, do it, but what the hell is the thing? I don't even it's, know what it is. It's like a it's like a it's, troll leprechaun. I don't know what and what's with the hat? Yeah, it has a weird little hat. It's like a little elf. I don't think the prop department knew what they were doing with it. And I I have no proof of this, but I can only feel like that they were looking at this and they went through a lot of different versions of it, you know. I do know that they got one of the voices of the Transformers to do the voice of the cat and the troll. And that, you know, is one of those big deals in nerddom that people like to hang on to. I'm sure Frank Welker's real proud of this work, but uh, his squeaking troll voice. But yeah, I don't get the the reject. That's what it is. Well, the the troll is he's exactly what a you know the you know when we say the word troll now, modern iteration, Dick, we talk about internet trolls, right? What are they there to do? Just stir stuff up and cause problems. Well, that's kind of all this troll does too. Is just stir things up, cause problems, and kill the pet bird to get the cat in trouble. Well, you you mix the movie score in, and then with how this thing is talking or the noises that it makes, I mean, 
what are they trying to accomplish? I mean, he, and he never well, once comes off as a threat. He comes, it comes off silly. It comes off can silly. Can I tell you, is the cat like his natural enemy, and are he and the cat having conversations that are not subtitled and we don't understand? Is I, that what's going on? Because <laughs> that's kind of how I felt. It's awesome. like, I got to get this cat out of the way, man. He's going to mess up my whole plans to wreak havoc. That would be unbelievable if they would actually would have had subtitles on this. It would have made them so much better. I'm thinking like the end of Anchorman when Baxter's talking to the bear. <laughs> I am you know? calling upon some of our fans right now. This is on YouTube. Go get it, and I want to see the fan edit. Just yeah. make it up. I don't care what you say. I just want to see it. It's it twelve minutes of your time. Come on, yeah, entertain us, please. So post it on post it link on our page. We'll give you all the props in the world for it if you do it. Um, I'm serious because it would be more satisfying than what we get. Because super super bad mom takes the cat in to you know, oh you've killed the bird. How dare you? And that's when I'm like you care more about that bird than your own kid. And I don't care if your kid is telling you a troll is coming out of the, the wall at night. Okay, you may not buy the troll bit, but you better figure out what's scaring that little girl at night. And be yeah. like, all right, honey, you ain't watching no more of that at night or no more cartoons or, you know, whatever. Common but, sense like, shows you that, you know what, if she's getting scared by something and she wants the cat next to her, it's not the cat that's making her scared, okay? Yeah, Obviously, the cat is the calming influence there, Mom. Yeah, it's the worst mom of the world. I mean, it's she's terrible. And I just want to get back, get back to the troll thing. Though, you know, like I'm saying, I mean, are they trying to make this thing scary, or are they trying to make it silly? See, that's what I don't understand. I felt like the first one, they were trying to be adult and like you know, adult terror without the horror, you know, without like guts and gore and all that stuff. Then in the second one, I don't think they know what they wanted to be. I guess they wanted to take another adult problem, having an affair, and make it suspenseful or horrific. But that it was just ridiculous. This one is like for the kids because this is Drew Barrymore, right? You know, everybody wants to see Drew Barrymore, and it's all about Drew Barrymore. And I guess it's for the kids. I I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is I don't get what this what this is aimed at because that's the problem with anthology movies. It they either all got to be aimed at the same demographic, or they don't, or they gotta they or if they aim them at different ones, it's got to fall within a range of what the audience may actually show up and be, you know. And I'm looking up the the rating of this movie real quick because it's it, uh, this movie is a PG-13 movie. Okay, nobody 13 or over is in love with Drew Barrymore at this point. All right, so well, I don't know. No, no, nobody 13, 14, or 15 is going to be able to relate with someone smoking. Yeah, I mean, well, and not, well, not someone smoking wanting to quit. All right, yeah. they, they would relate more if it was like a kid behind the schoolhouse doing it, and he got caught, and his your mom, your dad, and your paraplegic brother get electrocuted. Yeah, if they want to make this like for that. kids, then they should have made it like something like the first movie is about someone trying to give up junk food, and the second one yeah. about a playground bully or something. I mean, yeah, you have, you have, yeah, two, but, you have two segments that are kind of you know the first one being more adult, the second one being very ad- adult. Yeah, and then and then the third one just being like. I just don't even know what they're trying to do. I mean, it's 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 a creature that lives in the wall that's trying to kill a child, okay? Well, is it trying to kill her? That's the thing I'm not sure on. That may be the the fact, but I'm not sure that he's trying to kill her. I don't know what he's trying to do except steal her breath, and I don't know what that means. Like, I needed her to read a book like, if the troll steals my breath, I won't have a soul. Like, we can't have the little girl go to the library? You know, something. You know, there's well, no the whole, internet. The whole but- thing is, that the reason it doesn't make any sense is because, like, there's an old wives' tale that... A cat, when you would have a baby in the house, 
a cat would steal the breath of a baby because a lot of times, I guess, like babies would die because the actual cat would actually go and sit on its face and it would suffocate at night because the cat was looking for warmth at night. This is all back in the, you know, that back before, like, you know, you had, this is back when they used to put bricks in the bed that were wrapped up in towels because the houses would be so cold. You know, but it doesn't make any sense when the child's like 10 years old. You know, I could see maybe if this was like an infant mm-hmm. child or something, maybe, you know, don't have Drew Barrymore, have this be like a two-year-old or a one-year-old in bed. You know, it would make more sense with the whole thing with like the cat stealing an eight, nine-year-old's breath. That's not, that's not, that's not the wives' tale. Well, hey, how about, how about this? How about Drew Barrymore is in the same room with like her new baby brother? Or whatever, and and she wants this cat, and the mom's worried about that. Like, let's have something else for her to fixate on, maybe. And yeah. no, it turns out it's this dang troll or whatever. But if they're going for that old wives' tale, they don't set that up at all. No, they don't and, set it up at all. It's very, very sloppily told. Expecting, it's really kind of just expecting you to bring your own knowledge into it with like what the old wives' tale is. But again, it's just you don't know what the thing's trying to accomplish. Is it trying to kill, or is it just trying to? Is it eat it someone's breath? You don't know. You got the terrible mother, mm-hmm. and then you got Drew Barrymore, who's, you know, eight, nine years old, and it's almost like, okay, this thing's on top of her, whatever, and it's like, she's being eight, nine years old, she's still a hundred times bigger than this thing. She could literally just pick him up and slam him to the ground and kill it, so the thing really has no physical th- th- no threat. Nick, I had flashbacks to Buffy Season 4, Fear Itself. Brian and I talked about this. The whole joke of that is that they conjured this fear demon, and it's going to be awful when it finally comes to life, and it's actually the size of the, the piece of paper that they see the picture of it on. It's like you know three inches tall, and they just step on it. And that's <laughs> the end of it. And I just wanted Drew Barrymore to go, oh, and just step on it. Because all it takes in the end is she finally gets the cat back in there. The cat and the thing have a sword fight again, and it the cat swats it into a fan. And it, and this is like the greatest little industrial fan ever, by the way. And it chops the troll into infinity. Again, worst mother in the world. I'd be more concerned <laughs> about that fan than the cat. I mean, but the whole thing too. I mean, the cat knows how to turn up the freaking uh, speed on the record player because the thing gets shot into the fan because it's holding onto her like record player, and the cat turns it on and it's spinning around, and the and she's yelling at the cat, make it go faster. And the cat, of course, can understand what make it go faster means, and it knows how to use. Yeah, yeah. Turn the LP up. Yeah, and it knows how to turn up the speed on a record player. I wouldn't even know how to do that, but it turns it <laughs> up and it shoots it across the room with with enough, you know. Uh, velocity to break through an industrial fan fence into the fans in which it blows up. I mean, it is so ridiculous, and it's and it's Looney Tunes when this is going on. I mean, the 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 things attacking Drew Barrymore and the cat makes it drop into a, a I think it's like a drum or something, and it's like oh, you know, birds going around its head. It's you know going. You know, got 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 his bell rung and stuff, and it's just like the whole fight is so ridiculous. And even more ridiculous is that Drew Barrymore is just sitting in the bed yelling at it. I mean, she's as bad as Tim in Jurassic Park when he's like behind <laughs> Lex on the computer, and the other two people are trying to hold the door of the Velociraptor. Go get the damn gun, and you go step on the thing. You're a hundred times bigger than it. I mean, but and then, yeah, then, it- then the worst part ever too is at the end when the parents come in. When they when the parents come in, they finally break open the door that the troll you know locked. And they ask her, were there any more? And she's like, no, it was just by itself. And that's like, oh, okay. Well, let's not tell anybody about this. And that's it. 
Yeah, I needed to see like a bunch of little red beady eyes behind that hole in the door going, oh, just wait, <laughs> you know, and then the cat going, Row! like that would have been a more satisfying ending. Like, oh, there are more and I'm going to kill all them too. You know, yeah, I, that, yeah it was so weird, but okay, we're going to accept the cat. And then the weird thing, like I said, and I didn't make up that last part, the cat goes and makes out with Drew Barrymore the next morning. <laughs> that was a little weird. I mean, I know cats are very affectionate, or some can be, and they, you know, they, he jumps up and starts licking her face, but like, it's a long, slow motion shot of that going down. And I'm like, what possessed anyone to do that? To put that on screen as the final shot of yeah. this anthology? Well, you have, we have to bring up to the music during this whole segment. It just gets worse. I mean, we're well, talking it's, about it's, score. it's oh. as bad as that second piece, and it just only spirals downward. And I think because, Nick, it, this is three separate little vignettes that aren't tied together by anything other than this cat running in and out of them and that they were created on page by the same guy. That's all they have in common. And otherwise, there's no elements to like none of these people know each other. Like if Robert Hayes had been one of the clients of James Woods or something like that. And if the woman who's got her head chopped off had been the sister of this, you know, overprotective mother, there would have been something, right? That's loose and thin. And I just made that up off the top of my head, but that's at least something. We don't even have any of that. And that's what makes this. Really hard. And maybe I expect too much. You know, I, I realize I live in a post Saul world where I want my horror films to connect like big, you know, uh, big, uh, poster sized, um, what am I trying to say? Poster sized 250 piece puzzles now where everything's, you know, connected to something else that was three films ago that I didn't realize was, you know, mattered. But I, and I don't necessarily need that all the time, but this just was really an unsatisfying way to end something that started out decent and just quickly spiraled out of control. Oh, definitely. I saw, I remember I saw this as a child on TV, probably like, no, I, we rented it from the store. That's right. We rented it, you know, probably in the, early 90s, late 80s, and I remember this like being like my favorite part of the movie, being like all oh, the little troll creature, and I remember thinking it was like so much more serious when I saw it as a kid, like this thing was evil and it was going to kill her, you know, had the little sword it was going to do something, and this cat just like saved it, now you watch it now, and it's just like this Looney Tunes the whole way through, and just, the parents are just both the parents, the dad and the mom, the whole time in this segment, are just so insufferable i mean they're actually worse parents than than the puttermans they are they're terrible terrible. yeah i mean (laughs) it's like oh well we're not going to tell anybody about this why would you not tell anybody about that your kid gets got attacked by like a supernatural being in its room oh we're going to keep this a secret no man i'm calling the authorities doing look like look at look at the arm look at the guts in here man what the hell is this thing you know pivot investigation dude you know call the insurance company we're out of this house you know can you get out of your mortgage if a troll attacks your child i don't know if there's a clause for that but that's a good that's a good point no but uh, it's like they they should they should have done something though you're right like they they were but they were useless characters nick that's the whole point especially dad but just being a father myself it's like I would not put her back in that room no matter what, man. She'd be sleeping with us. You know, F- screw the cat. She's yeah, that, right next th- to that us. room would, would, would have become the cat's room. And then, and then the daughter would just get I mean, it's almost room. like the end of Poltergeist. We know, like, I love Poltergeist, but, like, the end of Poltergeist, why are they in the bed in that bedroom? You know? 
get the hell out of there. I don't care what oh, anybody says. Oh, that, that's easy because they had Zelda Rubenstein exclaim that the house. Yeah, but still, man, it's like it you're most out definitely of there, not because of what happened in there. And it's like, you know, something happened. Your daughter was being terrorized. And it's something you can't even just fathom what it was. And it's like, well, hey, at least they there. learned and kicked the at least they learned and kicked the TV out of the Holiday Inn. Yeah. You know, at the end of that one, these people didn't learn anything except that they did keep General the Cat. And that's kind of the end of it. So, <laughs> one last note here, real quick though. This film, you know, made thirteen, a little over thirteen million dollars on its seven million dollar budget. So not great, but not horrible. But it was nominated for awards. Drew Barrymore nominated for Young Artist Award um, and Young Actress in a Motion Picture. And this is not by the Academy by any means. It was also not that was by the International Fantasy Film. Oh, they're going to say Golden uh, Awards. <laughs> And and for the uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what kills me is that this film was nominated for awards. People you know like this one. It has favorable reviews and stuff out there. I don't know. I it I find it to be I, a little more middling than that. But I guess the one last thing we need to talk about here is the police song. Every breath you take is heard in this film, but it's not their version because they couldn't afford it, so they got a cheap cover version of it and i think that's my review of this whole film is that it it sounds like something that i should like but it's sort of a cheap imitation of what i do like yeah that's that's fair i'm gonna have to go if we're gonna do our reviews man it's uh for this one it's gonna be small popcorn <laughs> this movie is not good <laughs> at all it is bad and I can't even say it's so bad. It's possibly watchable. Maybe, you know, like a drunken night with the buddies over at the home or something. No, it's it's one of the ones that there's a reason why the only way you can get it is on YouTube. There's there's no desire for this yeah. movie. Nobody wants it. Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, you can't even get the DVDs out of print. Like, you can probably find a used copy out there, but it's not worth trying to purchase, folks. Watch it. It's on YouTube. Just watch it. You know, watch it for free. It's sitting out there. And, and I would say only watch... Quitter's Inc. part of it. Skip the rest of this. It is a small popcorn all the way, and it's, it's really, really bad. And this this is the beginnings of something, though, and I think it's worth noting. Stephen King has a real hubris about his stuff, that when he gets in control and has any say on it, bad things almost always happen. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. The man's a genius in some rights, and, in other, and when it comes to the production of his works, it just never works out for him. And this is one of those that just doesn't quite pull together. So 1985's first swing out of the gate, not so hot. So we'll have to see if it gets any better as we go down the road. We don't have to go too far down the road, though, man, in 85, because Silver Bullet came out, Nick, in October of that year. And I've seen that movie a lot since I was a kid and have you know read the novella, Cycle of the Werewolf, and have a very, very interesting memories of it and, it and i know it's going to be your first time watching it for our review next time when we get around to silver bullet so that'll be our next one up in our stephen king retrospective folks really appreciate you joining us again folks you can always find more reviews in our archive section i mean good grief we got everything in there every kind of thing in there we got romantic comedies we got crazy stuff like this and leprechaun we got actually good movies like alien and aliens and uh some other detail there's some other decent and and other things like that all kinds of things there check us out continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies you can also find links to our buffy the vampire slayer podcast the art of slang 
or go directly to the page theartofslaying.com for episodes in that series. Until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Where's your sense of humor? <laughs> Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. <laughs>